When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and joining me driving from Kansas City to Omaha. It's been a while. Sage Rosenfels, former Minnesota Vikings quarterback. What is up, Sage? How are you? I'm just living that journeyman life, traveling around the, uh, the Midwest per usual and uh, got to see some good and atrocious football on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and that's partly what we're going to talk about. I've got some uh, Vikings questions for you. I want to ask you about Kevin Stefanski, who's coming in here with the Cleveland Browns, and I want to get to Chicago. But do you ever think of like keeping a map of yourself for all the different places you are? Every time we talk, you're like in a different place or about to go to a different place. Like you live the journeyman life in the NFL and now after the NFL. Uh, it is interesting. You know, I ended up in Omaha, Nebraska. It's a place I had never, of course, played. It never lived. Didn't go to college there. I'm from eastern Iowa. Went to Iowa State. Of course, my journeyman career. So what happens is I choose to get out of town. Uh, about every other week, it seems like I leave for between three and five days, sometimes even longer, depending on the situation for what the reasons are. And I usually try to combo it up with work at, with some of it slash play um, and, you know, try to find some business in there. And, but also maybe it's an excuse to go to Miami in January. Uh, <laughs> right. So you, you are correct. I, I do get around a lot, traveling around a lot. Um, you know, I do radio shows in both Houston and Chicago on Tuesdays. And it seems like, you know, every other week I'm in a hotel room somewhere. Austin, Texas. This time there was Kansas City this morning. Uh, sometimes, of course, it's in Omaha as well. But yeah, I definitely I lived that journeyman life as a player, and I, I feel like I'm still living that a little bit in my post career. Yeah, and I enjoy finding out who you had dinner with, including uh, one time Matt Moore. You just you said, oh, I uh, randomly had dinner with Matt Moore, and then the next year he beat the Vikings after like coming out of retirement. So it's sort of funny the people that you uh, run into because of your journey. But uh, it really is that that, and I think I think the uh, uh, Twitter. Yeah, I think Twitter is, you know, I had dinner with Colin Cowherd about a month ago. I was out in Los Angeles taking my son out to college. And, you know, once you drop him off, he doesn't want to hang out with his, with his dad anymore. He wants <laughs> right. to go hang out with his, his new roommates and his buddies. And and so, you know, Colin had uh, uh, occasionally makes comments on my tweets. And so I sent a message, hey, you want to grab a beer or something? And next thing you know, we have a four hour dinner. And I feel like I know Colin Cowherd a little bit. So it's like it is very random like that. Twitter definitely helps with the connections to random people. Uh, and then you sort of build those relationships over time. And 
And uh, yeah, it's definitely all part of the, the journeyman lifestyle, as, as you always like to say. I really hope that you and I get to go to the NFL Combine together again, because that was quite an experience just walking around with you. And it was like, OK, here's uh, Brady Quinn. We're going to talk to him. And here's Chris Sims. You know him. And here it was, it was sort of a it was a fun time to listen to you talk with all the guys that you know from the league. So, well, uh, there, there, there are only so many quarterbacks that play in the league for an extended period of time. Right. That's one thing. But two, uh, and what you what you didn't mention other than just you know fairly well known quarterbacks is like the trainers, the equipment managers, of course, all the coaches that usually stay in the league for a long, long time. Right. You know, Eric Eric Sugarman is gonna be the trainer. Uh, I'm sure with the Vikings for a long time, but if it's not the Vikings, he'll end up somewhere else for a long time and have a 40 year you know, trainer career right. and in all of his assistants as well. I actually, I just saw uh, one of his assistants, Tom, uh, at Eagles game. Uh, now he's obviously, he's moved back to, to Philadelphia and, uh, you know, the, the, the players change in the NFL and the, all the other people, they don't change that much at all in a lot of ways. Right. And a lot of the guys that you played with are now coaches. So at the combine, like Wes Welker is coaching. He walks by us, says hello to you. So it's, uh, that was a, that was a fun experience. I hope we can do it again. If the combine is back to normal, uh, this year, but let's talk some football, man. I mean, uh, you and I have talked for years about Matt Nagy's offense and the Chicago bears. And, and I knew, I knew that you were watching that game, tearing out what hair you have. Um, no, 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 you've got it. You've got a decent mane still, but, uh, you were, you were, I'm sure beside yourself watching this, Justin Fields have to stand back there and try to do everything the same way they put it on Mitch Trubisky. And you would have thought that Chicago would have learned that from last year, that when they started to make things easier on Trubisky, he actually had some success and Justin Fields is a much better quarterback prospect. I think if you're the Vikings, you're absolutely thrilled with Matt Nagy already mishandling Justin Fields only a couple games into his career. If you're a Chicago Bears fan, I should say this. If you're a Chicago Bears season ticket holder in that box they send you at the beginning of the year, that's now all fancy because all the teams do this and they have all your nice mm-hmm. tickets in mm-hmm. there ready to go. You should get a free pack of Rogaine for <laughs> all the people who are literally pulling their hairs out right. uh, of their head out of frustration, out of sometimes disbelief. Um, watching the Bears offense hurts my heart. It does. It hurts my heart. And, you know, college football, there are a lot of teams, shoot, most teams, it seems like at this point, they, they love the shotgun. They're in the shotgun most of the time. They've got these jet sweeps and they've got these little token fakes by the running back as he crosses the quarterback, but it's really just a drop back pass and you can get away with it in college. You know, the field seems bigger when the hashes are bigger. That's one, but two, the players are just slower and less athletic Mm -hmm. and less knowledgeable to really understand the details of an offense. So it's just a more wide open game. The NFL game, the defenses are just so much better. They, this is all you do all the time. The players are bigger, faster, stronger, but they're also much smarter. And so they identify things faster. They know what the weaknesses and strengths of their defenses are. The game planning is so much further beyond in complexity and detail than college game planning. And being in shotgun consistently is the hardest thing to do. And I, I almost tweeted this yesterday. 
But if you're, uh, in my opinion, if you're an offensive coordinator in the National Football League, or, or let's say you're an offensive lineman in the National Football League and a quarterback, the plays in order from easiest or plays you want called a lot to the plays you least want called, starting off running plays, all right? If offensive linemen are get they're getting five yards a shot, offensive linemen say, let's just keep running the ball, keep running running plays, okay? That's the easiest thing for the quarterback and for the line. They can go out there and they try to move move the ball uh, with, with with running plays. Secondly, the bootlegs off the running plays, okay, which aren't as good in shotgun. By the way, running plays aren't as good in shotgun either. Right. The angles are all screwed up. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to describe on a podcast or a radio show, but they're just not effective. Now you do see runs sometimes go for eight, 10, 15 yards out of shotgun, but it might be third and 15 you're on a draw for 10 and it, yeah, they're all spread out because they're playing for the pass. Of course you're going to get eight or 10 yards, but in reality, running the ball from under center as a quarterback, it's over time. It is better for the running game, but two then the bootleg game is better. All right. So the second thing an offensive lineman loves bootlegs. Mm -hmm. They literally just come off the ball and try to eliminate penetration, but they don't really have a responsibility. You don't have to block Khalil Mack or Miles uh, uh, Garrett for four or five seconds. Uh, right. So, th so that plays easier. Uh, um, screens. Uh, there's different types of screens. There's wide receiver screens, which we all know there's the ones where they sort of catch it and more come in towards the line and then, try to shoot up the numbers. There's running back screens. There's also tight end screens, which, by the way, are great off of play action. Mm -hmm. The next yeah. one, play action. Why? Because the defense has to play the run for a couple of seconds before they can truly rush the quarterback. So we're going in over here. Now we're talking about three-step drops, all right? You get the ball out quick, then there's five steps, then there's seven steps, all right? And you could probably do that in order three, five, and seven from the shotgun, even more complicated because the defense knows the threat of run and or bootleg is just not going to be as good. Right. So in that order, of course, the Bears with a rookie quarterback who's pretty raw and hasn't been in this type of offense, hasn't been the NFL, any, any rookie quarterback, right? They have him in shotgun 90% of the time. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's it's like you're trying to do the hardest thing on the guy. And they did the same thing to Trubisky. Yep. And I would say the same thing. And what you said earlier, the second half of last season, as Trubisky is out the door, they decide, well, let's do an offense that's sort of more like Minnesota's or more like the Rams. Let's get a fullback in there. Let's get a tight end in there. Let's line up and let's run the ball with David Montgomery. Then let's do some play action stuff. Then let's do some bootleg stuff. And they were doing that, and they were having success. It's not the best offense in the NFL. They weren't putting up five or 600 yards a game, but it was efficient. It made sense. It had an identity, even if Matt Nagy's coaching didn't have all the precise details, because I would see things. I'm like, eh, that's not really the best way to block that on a bootleg, or at least how I was taught mm -hmm. from what, what I think some of the best coaches in the industry who run that type of stuff, Shanahan and, 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 and Kevin Stefanski and Matt LaFleur and all those guys, they don't, they weren't doing it the same, but, but having said that they were still having success. Now come to the next year. We're right back to where we were before. 
right? We're right back to shotgun, right back to five-man pass protections. Oh, we can get to, we can get into that. Pass protections. There, even when you're in shotgun, there's five-man. There's six-man, which mm-hmm. is usually your running back is staying in and, and, and seeing if there's any blitzes, but then he's getting out, or he can stay in, shift, say, the le- help on the left tackle before he gets out on some sort of route. You've got seven-man, which is either two backs or – you have a back and a tight end who's staying in, right? Now you only have three guys going out. You have various ways to try to help out those offensive linemen who, again, you're asking them to do the hardest thing to do, which is shotgun in the pocket. The Bears run almost all five-man protections. So they're making it hard on their line with the play call, all right? And then there was a time in this game where where Cleveland ran straight cover two, straight cover two. All right, they're rushing four, and the Bears they leave in seven guys to block. <laughs> There's three guys out in a route. Well, of course, no one's going to be open when right. teams play cover two. Those are actually the times you want to get your running backs and tight ends out, so you can force the defense to spread the field. And boom, a lot of times they take away the deep stuff, but you hit that running back on those checkdowns, like we saw with the 49ers the other day. They hit. Uh, who's checked on that little burst route? Boomy scores a touchdown. Well, because the defense was playing for the end zone. They were right. playing coverage in that situation. So, I mean, I said on the radio day in Chicago, I got traded from the Houston Texans to the Minnesota Vikings in 2009. I got traded to a team, to a head coach that had worked under Andy Reid in Philadelphia. And when they won in Philadelphia – no offense to Brad Childers, but I promise you it had nothing to do with Brad Childers. <laughs> nothing. All right. It was Jim Johnson, one of the great defensive coordinators in NFL history. And an offense, to be honest, it wasn't a great offense, but it had, it had Donald McNabb, had a great quarterback and a, a, usually a very good offensive line. Right. This had nothing to do with Brad Childers. So when Brad comes in, the offense that I showed up to was like, man, this is so archaic compared to what I was just in with Kyle Shanahan, which was detailed, but also very creative, had some complexity to it, but also very simple for the quarterback within that complexity. And this feels like the exact same thing. It's like a a coach who was in Kansas City under Andy Reid. And I promise you, Matt Nagy's influence on Kansas City success had nothing to do with Matt Nagy. You know, and 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 here we are in Chicago going with the, the same situation. Um, and uh, and Brett Favre is not going to show up anytime soon. And they don't have <laughs> uh, Adri- a young Adrian Pierce in the backfield. And they don't have Hutchinson and McKinney and Percy. Sullivan and and all those guys along the offensive line either. You know, they've got Jason Peter, who's three years past his prime or, you know, past his capabilities and he's just sort of done and then they're just making it as hard as possible on him with this ridiculous offense there's my rant but other than that i mean it's going fine uh the thing that um i really don't the de- understand the, the defense did have five sacks you know it's baker mayfield wasn't amazing in the game they yeah. held him in check but baker mayfield wasn't asked to do too much he right. was asked to run the offense handed off bootlegs occasional back shoulder throw when you get a get when you get a good one-on-one on the outside when the team's trying to stop the run. Don't ask your quarterback to try to do too much. And that's that's what Kevin Savancy's doing, and that's why they're one of the best teams uh, in the National Football League. Well, and I, I want to ask you about Stefanski in a minute, but it, you look around the league right now, 
and the best offenses in the league, which through three games includes the Minnesota Vikings with Clint Kubiak, and you have Matt LaFleur running this similar offense with Aaron Rodgers, and he was an MVP last year, looked pretty good to me the other night against San Francisco. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo went to the Super Bowl. Jared Goff went to the Super Bowl with the Rams running this kind of system. Ryan Tannehill has revamped his career in Tennessee under Arthur Smith uh, running this kind of system. I mean, it's just all Matt, over. Matt, Matt Stafford is a MVP candidate right. for two or three games. Right. It's it, it just is working in so many different ways. And I think what we're seeing even here, Sage, is Clint Kubiak adding these um, McVay-ish or Kyle Shanahan-ish elements that maybe Gary uh, Kubiak did not have last year and it's just working and there are guys open and there's not a lot of pressure. I was just telling Jeremiah Searles earlier today um, when we recorded the show was that like the true pass sets, the times that the offensive line has to just stand in there and pass block are very limited in the Vikings offense through these last couple of weeks. And it just kind of, it doesn't make any sense to me that with quarterbacks who are athletic, there seems to be this want from some coaches to just say, stand back in the shotgun. And instead of like, I think athletes work really well with a bootleg offense and with, and with a, with a play action offense, I guess I, I just don't understand why they would see it work last year and then come back this year and say, no, 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 we're going to go back to my offense. And that's the part that feels very childressy where it's like, no, it's my offense. It works. And I'm going to do it no matter what the situation, that's just not good coaching. Ego is the greatest inhibitor to creativity and growth. Mm -hmm. It is. And Matt Nagy has a, an ego that he really truly believes that he is right. Even though it seems like everybody else believes he is wrong. And that ego is going to prevent him from having success as a head coach. It's going to prevent him from being an offensive coordinator where the next job he has. And it's going to prevent Justin Fields and Chicago Bears from having consistent success this year. The Bears don't do anything well. Anything. And I, to be honest, and David Montgomery, by the way, I know he's my, my Iowa State guy. He's playing great. Mm -hmm. He is, when they, when they give him the ball, he is making some really good runs, but he's not getting enough opportunities and they're not putting him in situations where he can have success. I mean, the first third down in this game, by the way, versus Cleveland. They run like a crack toss to the left-hand side. Cleveland has a will linebacker on the line. They've got a safety down that way because the will linebacker is going to blitz. It's third and two. Defenses usually play a fifth or even sixth guy near the last scrimmage on those situations. And the Bears run right into it. Mm. Like, that's just common sense. You don't run that play. But Matt Nagy, just, I, don't know, I don't know why he thinks like that play would work. That's the very first third down in the game get stuck for a negative two uh, yard run. And, and that, that ego creates stubbornness and creates again, a, a lack of growth and progression and, and advancement from an offense. And, and I don't know, maybe it's because he, it's not his style because he wasn't in the, 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 the tree the, you know, he's not one of the branches on the Sean McVay tree mm -hmm. that he wants to be, you know, on the Andy Reid tree, just like Brad Shoulders did as well. But you don't have Pat Mahomes at quarterback. You don't have Kelsey. You don't have, uh, uh the cheat at the wide receiver. And usually Andy Reid's one of the best offensive line coaches in the league as well. And Nagy's decides, decide not to do that. 
what Clint Kubiak is doing is exactly what I thought he would do. And I think when you learn this offense, uh, you don't learn in a year. You have to be, you know, underneath one of those coaches for three, even four years. And you, of course, learn a lot of details from them. But you also learn from watching the other teams that run a similar style of offense. And Matt Nagy, obviously, has no interest in running it, uh, no interest in calling those types of plays. It's not who he is, and it's going to cost him his job. And that's that's that. Um, and you know, I think Matt Nagy becomes a good offensive coordinator someday, if and only if he goes and coaches for a person that he has not coached for in the past because he needs to add uh, add detail and add creativity and add the, you know, the, the, the Kubiak, Shanahan, McVeigh style of offense into his repertoire. There is something about, there is something about snapping the ball from center into the quarterback's hands, not in shotgun, hanging the ball off hand-to-hand and or bootlegging uh, without having that ball be in, in the air in one in one way or another. There's something about controlling the football mm-hmm. and also making the defense play the game laterally so as a quarterback you can get outside the pocket and actually have time to throw and then possibly you know hit a guy on a crossing route who just because the linebacker had to play the run, he overplays it. Now he's out of his cover three or cover two drop, and boom, there's a big hole right there. And uh, the Bears don't run, and they do run bootlegs. They, I can just tell they're very poorly not only designed, but they're they're running them against bad looks. Like mm-hmm. not, you don't run bootlegs versus all the looks. If if you watch a good NFL game, the quarterback either has the ability to audible to a better play because play one is a bad play, or the the head coach or the the, the, the play caller is calling two or even three plays in the huddle because, hey, we, these are the two or three plays. This is the first one. If you don't like it because we're calling it for man but they're in zone, let's run a zone play. Well, what type of zone? It's a cover two type of zone it looks like. Well, let's run a cover two play, not a cover three play. There's all these complexities that go into each and, uh, and every play call, in particular pass plays, and Matt Nagy just doesn't understand that he just doesn't know it and uh you know that's as simple as it gets and i think what we're really seeing is just a separation that is as wide as you know whatever the uh the parting seas between the coaches who know what they're doing and the coaches who don't know what they're doing and when you can watch a game and and maybe this has always been the case but I've, i feel like it's really clear now when you can watch a game and tell oh this coach has not modernized what he's doing or this coach has not really studied what's working in today's NFL. They're not ahead of the game. And the Vikings this week are going to face someone who's the exact opposite of Matt Nagy. Uh, I even was looking at the fourth down decisions and no surprise, Cleveland was number one in the league in terms of matching up with what the analytics say for fourth downs. And we saw this in 2019 where Kevin Stefanski, uh, I think, uh, brought in a completely different offense from John D. Filippo and it was immediately successful for Kirk Cousins he had his best career season that year and then they've carried that on from last season to now this year with Clint Kubiak Um, Kevin Stefanski I think has has really emerged as one of the best coaches in the NFL stage why why do you think that that is well uh, let me add to that and I I will get to Stefanski Um, you know Pat Shermer 
if you went with Pat Sherman and said, hey, Pat, what was the offense you ran 10 or 15 years ago? Because right, he was a Philadelphia guy. Mm-hmm. His offense he runs now doesn't look like that offense. Right. He is advanced. He is advanced. And you even saw it in Minnesota that he was a lot of run, a lot of boot and play action, and a lot of three-step, uh, especially in that, in that Case Keenum year. He, and then D. Filippo comes in, boomer and shotgun. Right. You literally saw that stark contrast right there. You and I went over it time and time again back in those dark days of, of Vikings <laughs> football. Kevin always wanted to run this offense, but he did not know the details of it. And when he got that OC job after Filippo got fired, when they hired Gary Kubiak, I talked to him. He said, I was I said, how is that? You know, hi, you know, hiring Gary, you know, because. He's a guy that you think, okay, he's, he might step on your toes. You're the right. OC, but everyone knows is it actually Gary's offense. He goes, oh, I was the happiest person in the organization that they hired Gary because I wanted to learn the fine details of that offense. Mm-hmm. And here I go, one of the originators of it. And so, and then because he's a younger guy and also like because Clint Kubiak's a younger guy, um, they're going to advance that th- those basic principles to another level because, well, younger people a lot of times are just a little bit more creative right. and their minds work that way. And, of course, Kyle Shanahan, he, t- he takes it to a whole different level that I think sometimes could be almost too much. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he tries to get too creative. And I think the other guys, LaFleur, Stefanski, uh, McVay, they don't go, to, I think, to the – the complexity of Kyle. And I think that might be more, they might have more success because of it um, because they stick to those basic principles more. So, you know, Kevin's done a great job of, of course, learning from Gary, um, becoming a better play caller, when to call a screen, when to call this, when to do that. Um, of course, the bootlegs and the play action type stuff. And you see that offense, again, it's not like super high powered, but it's just so consistent and you combine it with a really good defense. And Gary, you know, Gary Kubiak used to say all the time, it's like uh, offenses are, you know, I'm an offensive coordinator, but at the end of the day, a lot of times, you know, teams that win Super Bowls have great defenses. Mm-hmm. And even those Broncos teams with, with uh, Elway back in the day when Gary was, uh, you know, with, with Mike Shanahan, their defenses were awesome back in those days. They weren't, it wasn't just like a high scoring you know, St. Louis, uh, you know, fun and gun or whatever it was called um, that, that they had going on there. And so Kevin understands the value of, of, of defense and good defense and good defensive lines. And and they've created that, you know, type of type of football. It's a style of football. It's not always super pretty, but it wins a lot of games. It wins between 10 and 13 games consistently in this league and the shotgun stuff wins four to six games consistently in this league. And that's just a fact. Right. Unless you have Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, that's pretty much, or Peyton Manning calling all the shots or Tom Brady calling all the shots. Tom Brady's running the Tom Brady offense. Yeah. But even right now you look at, you look at that team, that's a defense heavy team. Mm -hmm. And Tom is, he's dropping back some, but we all know if you go into the analytics, I know you're a, uh, football focus guy, but he gets the ball out quick. Yes. His back foot hits and fastest and he in the is, league. Like, yep. He identifies defenses on drop back passes and he gets the ball out. He does not want to go back there and hold the ball, hold mm-hmm. the ball, hold the ball. And when he does, he knows he's holding the ball and you can actually see his eyes 
looking down at the line because he's already identified the defense at the snap. He already knows what he's going to have to do. The question is, does he have time to hold on to the football long enough for those routes to open up? And you can see Tom move around the pocket a little bit on those plays. But otherwise, he identifies defenses quickly, and he gets the ball out. He is not trying to throw the ball 60 yards down the field. But when they do, it's on play action. When he's thrown his post routes or his go routes a lot of times, they are on some sort of play action Mm -hmm. because he knows, and that offense knows, that that's the best way to buy time for your quarterback. You know, what's so interesting? They, they even ran, by the way, they even ran a bootleg with Tom Brady in that first game or a couple of weeks ago with uh, with Gronkowski on the goal line. They ran a bootleg with Tom Brady <laughs> on the goal line. You don't see too many boots from him because even though he claims he's still fast, um, he's not. He's not very fast. Uh, but he's still as fast as he was 20 years ago. That's <laughs> yeah. true. Well, you can't. <laughs> yeah, you could say that about him. Um, but. You know, the other thing I've noticed about Clint Kubiak is that his demeanor is very similar to Kevin Stefanski. This is not a salesman at all. And, you know, when you're around, you cover enough coaches, you kind of know who's trying to get themselves a head coaching job, who goes to the podium trying to give you uh, all the information and try to, you know, look, I know so much about everything and that kind of thing. But Clint Kubiak is as quiet as it comes. Kevin Stefanski was very much understated like that too. And I feel like those guys and, and even Matt LaFleur doesn't seem to be like a huge talker. Uh, I feel like, no, he's very, very quiet. I feel like this, all all three of those guys, Sean McVay is the outlier there for sure. For sure. Um, And I feel like that matches up though with their quarterbacks Um, because their quarterback, like Kirk cousins, I think is not the easiest guy to work with. And Aaron Rodgers is absolutely not the easiest guy to work with. Um, But it sounds to me like Clint Kubiak is taking all of the feedback Kirk cousins gives him and cousins really knows the game. He really knows what works for him. I think that that plays well when you have guys like that, rather than being the coach that it's sort of all about me kind of guy. A hundred percent. And college football is a lot of recruiting going on. It's 18 to 22 year olds. You get a lot of rah, rah. You get a lot of uh, emotion by the coaches. You get a lot of sales. The NFL is not that. So when you find an NFL coach, who's always a salesman, you got to be very weary of what, what, what and why he is selling because mm-hmm. there's really no reason to sell anything in this league. It's a win or lose league only. It's about production and winning. And the question is, do you, do you, you know, get it done consistently? And I think what LaFleur, uh, and those guys, uh, have done their general attitudes are it is about this consistent sort of race. Just now 17 games. Mm-hmm. It's not the ups and downs. And when you have a head coach who's all fired up and all down and all fired up and all down, you're going to get that out of your offense, not of your team. But you want a consistent quarterback. You want a consistent offense over the one that puts up 500 yards one week and can't do anything the next week. And uh, again, especially with a complimentary defense, you don't have to be uh, uh, a high-powered offense to win football games on National Football League if you have the right type of defense. And so yeah, I think those guys are looking at it as more of a steady way. I will say, you know, Sean McVay, he is that rah-rah guy, but it doesn't seem like he's selling anything. Mm-hmm. That's just his personality. And I feel like the coaches are always trying to sell you on something, which is very much, co- you know, coach talk. And coach, a lot of times football coaches in general are sort of salesmen, whether it's high school or college, because 
you're selling to people go out there and do things they wouldn't normally do, basically run into a wall for you. And so that salesmanship um, matters in a lot of levels. But in the National Football League, the salesmanship is like, hey, if you do this really well, we're going to pay you millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. That is the sell. You don't have to go out there and convince somebody to play hard because if they don't, the scouts will see it, the GM see it, the whole league sees it. We don't want to pay that guy. He doesn't work hard. He doesn't finish plays. He doesn't hustle. He doesn't do those things. That's the difference between college football, high school football, pro football from the salesman aspect of coaching. Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the Straight Cash Homie Randy Moss homage, Can't Stop the Thielen hats, and a personal favorite, the old video game designs The Tecmo fans will appreciate check it all out at sodastick.com that is s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com everything is screen printed here in minnesota and i can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now soda stick at this point again that's sodastick.com minnesota sports inspired goods and keep your eye out for our soda stick giveaways Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, I wanted to ask you also about um, leadership in the quarterback position and uh, the relationship between Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins has been, let's just say like awkward is probably the best word I could use to describe it. Uh, Uncomfortable might be. And Zimmer has sort of begrudgingly over the last couple of weeks said that he's happy with how Cousins is leading the team. And he says it in a way of it's better this year, (laughs) not he's a great leader and I love what he's doing, but it's like, well, it's improved kind of thing. Uh, But I I wonder just, I mean, you played with Brett Favre and you've obviously, you know, lots of quarterbacks have been in, you know, around the game for a long time. I, I guess I wonder what you think the best quality in terms of leadership is and and what its tangible impact is. I think number one, authenticity. I think a quarterback who is and or coach who is authentic, who it just doesn't when they're talking, it doesn't seem like they're either making excuses or they're sort of making things up on the fly. If you can really feel them and connect with them, um, you know, if you want to go into the Brene Brown world of you know, with, with no authenticity, there is no connection and life is about connections and relationships are about connections. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're not an authentic person, you're not going to have those deep connections. Uh, If you make a lot of excuses for, for plays not working, but you know, it it didn't work because of somebody else, the offensive line, the receiver, the, this, the coaching call to play, you're not going to get players to follow you and to want to be there for you because at some point you're going to be the one that takes the blame for for something. I think players love it when a quarterback just says, I got to play better. 
Mm -hmm. I got to do this better, you know, or we as a team have to do this better. Um, I think that's big. I think being consistent every single day, I think, uh, you know, you walk into the building and uh, you, you treat the guy who's, uh, 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 washing the floors the exact same as you treat the Wilfs uh, when you're when you end up talking to them at, at some function. I think that people see that. Um, I, I think those are some of the things that, you know, people look for, but just being consistent every single day uh, and, you know, being one of those guys and whether you like it or not, for me as a guy from the small town in Iowa, I had to find a way to connect to the guys from the south side of Dallas, from right. a big city, from a place that I have very little to do with as far as my history and their history. But how do you connect with those guys? And if you don't at least try to connect with those guys, they won't appreciate that. And they, every, the quarterback gets enough of the credit and enough of the pay and all the things to make the last guy in the roster – who's from a completely opposite side of the world as you feel that you appreciate him and that you guys are in this together, that type of relationship to me, that creates great leaders. Yeah. And, um, that was, that's Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I remember Teddy Bridgewater had this sort of corner of the locker room, um, where he called it the neighborhood and the guys from South Florida, uh, he'd kind of have them over there. And if somebody was in the neighborhood that wasn't supposed to, they got fined, but it was like a couple bucks and they would give it to charity kind of thing. Uh, and uh, one of the guys was a seventh round pick who wasn't really any good and didn't last long in the league, but Teddy still invited him over like with guys who are stars and guys who are pro bowlers and things like that. Um, you know, making those guys feel like they're valuable as part of the team, I, I think is a, is a huge deal for leadership. Yeah, I will say, you know, you know, since we're on, I'm doing a Vikings podcast here and, and I'll bring up the Farb of 2009. I mean, for the guy that was a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, had been the MVP, I don't know what, three times at that point, yep. won the Super Bowl, all those things, I would regularly see Brett, you know, admit chatting with or giving his time to a guy in the practice squad. Yeah. You know, Brett, if, a, if a guy in the practice squad walked up and said, hey, can you sign this or whatever? Not only would Brett sign it, but he would say, oh, yeah, Boise State, uh, you know, blah, and then and then make a comment, you know, or even like maybe a joke. But there is this connection thing where that practice squad player felt like, holy cow, Brett Favre knows who I am. Right. And right. and the wrong types of leaders separate themselves from the team rather than immerse themselves right in the middle of it. Yeah, and I think that that's what Zimmer is talking about because he said specifically that he's that he feels like Cousins has been more a part of the group this year than he has been in the past. But I guess what where I think it'll be tested, Sage, is when they get to some tough times. Now, I know they went 0-2, but the offense played well, and Kirk played well through those first couple of weeks, and then they get a big win here. So everyone's sort of like feeling confident about themselves. We haven't seen one of those tough games and then how cousins responds after the game and that kind of thing. And, and even how Mike Zimmer responds to a bad Kirk cousins game. We have not seen that this year. Uh, Mike has been sort of very nice since the whole COVID thing uh, about cousins so far this year, since then, well, not, he's been not, much to, nicer, not, so. not, not, not to scare uh, the Vikings fans out there, but I just watched that Cleveland tape. Yeah. And that's, that's you guys play this week. And, um, I don't know if Kirk's going to have a good game and that D line is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've got 
two first overall picks who are freaks of nature on each side. Uh, and they're, you know, so good. And they, and Joe Woods does a great job of scheming to get those guys one on one with the tackles. He loves putting those linebackers up in those A and B gaps, which means, you know, the running backs can't be chipping and helping out. People have to squeeze down sometimes uh, and help out that interior part of the pocket, which means one on ones on the outside. They stop the run extremely well, create a lot of third and long situations. And as we saw, Justin Fields sitting back in that pocket, a guy who's twice the athlete as Kirk, uh, got sacked, I think, nine times in that, that ball game. Um, so I, I, I would assume that Mr. Kubiak is going to do whatever he can to limit those pocket passes, right? Uh, to limit, you know, Kirk being back there in that same spot. Um, but yeah, you know, the, at the end of the day, um, the Viking Dolphins has played pretty well in the first three games, but, you know, I was talking to my college offensive coordinator the other day discussing the Cyclones, and he said, you know, what I always believed is if you won 52 to 51, both the offense and defense did their job. Now, the defense will say, we didn't do our job, we gave up 51 points, but you know what? You gave up one less than our offense did. And if the offense, if we win the game 11 to 10, damn it, we did our job. Mm-hmm. We scored 11 points, their defense gave up 10. It's that complimentary football. It doesn't matter, you know, how you do on offense. It's did you win the game or not? And I think that might be one of the the issues with Kirk Cousins over the course of his career is that it does seem like his offenses has a lot of times done fairly well. They're never an embarrassment. They're always good to sometimes really good. Mm-hmm. But the question is, are they good and really good when it really counts, when it matters against who? And does it end up? Yeah, they had a really good offense, but they're eight and eight, nine and seven. Right. Or does that really good offense translate into 12 or 13 wins? Right. And that hasn't happened in his career nearly enough. Right. And that's where I refuse to throw out QB wins as a stat because, I mean, a lot of times it comes down to does that guy make a play at the times that you need him most? Does he have a drive? Does he keep sustain a drive or something like that? And you see it over a long period of time. And so Cousins is sort of fighting that uphill battle against that. Not that the two losses were his fault in the first two weeks, of course. I think people sort of conflate like calling it Oh, every single loss is on the quarterback. Like, no, that's not what we're saying. Well, I, I will say I, I disagree with you on this stat. I disagree with all the Twitter folks out there because I know it's a, it's just a Twitter conversation is, is winning a QB stat. Right. Um, but I think there is a mix. I think there are some quarterbacks who just win. They just, Tom Brady just knows how to win. Peyton Manning just, of course, knew how to win. Peyton Manning won with, to be honest with you, a pretty average football team around him. I mean, their offensive line was always atrocious. Of course, he had the two good receivers in Dallas Clark at tight end, and defense was always actually probably about 20th or, or worse in the league, and they would have been even off the bottom if it wasn't for Peyton being on the field the entire time. So there's times where, like, yeah, the quarterback played well and they lost. It's not the quarterback's fault. There's also times where the quarterback just played okay and they won because of everybody else. But I do believe – the really, really good ones, they win all the time. And it's right. not because their team's better. It's because, yes, the quarterback is so good that they, they just win games. That's just what they do, no matter what their stats are. No, we are on the same page with that. I, I think that, um, especially over a large sample size, like think about how much the roster around great quarterbacks like changes over and yet they win and they win and they win and they win. 
And I think that, you know, there are a lot of other quarterbacks who they sort of go which way the wind blows them. Like if it's a good team, if it's Jared Goff, it's a really good team. He's going to succeed. If it's not a good team, he's not. And that's sort of, you know, who that guy is going that's, to be. That's, that's most quarterbacks other than maybe about, I don't know, five to yeah. eight guys in this league yep. that they, they're, they're only as good as the team around them. Right. And then there's about those four or five guys that, can take an average team and make them really, really good. Right. How about for the most part, you know, quarterbacks really just the product of the team around. Well, Sage, it has been a lot of fun to catch up with you. I'm glad I could catch you while driving from Kansas City to Omaha uh, in typical journeyman fashion. And uh, I look forward to us doing this again soon. It was really great to catch up with you, man. I know I owed you one. I appreciate you uh, coming into my my class the other day, teaching this little sports broadcast boot camp class at my brother's high school in, in Las Vegas. I appreciate uh, uh, you coming on a couple of weeks ago. And uh, by the way, the, the trees are changing here. I'm guessing, are they fully changed up in Minnesota at this point? Uh, not quite. It's been a little bit warmer here. It's been like in the eighties recently. So I think that we're probably a, maybe another week or two away. Gotcha. Well, one of my favorite times of the year is uh, late September and early October. And uh, uh, definitely the best weather in the Midwest, best time to live in the Midwest. And I never knew that when I was playing football. I never realized how awesome falls are uh, in the Midwest in general. I was always out, you know, at practice and stuff or in meetings all day. And now I really get to enjoy these uh, these beautiful fall days. The autumn wind, my friend. So, um, <laughs> Sage, I, I appreciate it, man. Really great to catch up with you again. And we will do it again soon, buddy. Okay. Sounds good.